This is Paradoxology, week number nine, and this morning we're going to talk about the paradox with the most potential. In fact, this is the paradox that has the ability to lead us or unlock the abundant life within us. And here is a verse I so often find myself quoting because it rests at the heart of our Christian walk and because it is exactly what a lost world is longing and looking for. John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And we understand the life that Christ gives to us. We know just basically up front, it is spiritual life and it is eternal life. And, and those are ours and we have that regardless. And yet the reality is he also describes this life as the abundant life. And we're gonna see today that when you came to know Christ, that yes, he gave you the abundant life. Life. If you have been saved, if you've responded to the gospel by believing and receiving, it's that simple, uh, then you have the abundant life within you. And so the, the, the real question, and this is why we can say that we have the abundant life, because really simply, the Christ life is the abundant life. The Christ life is the abundant life. And so the question this morning is not if we have abundant life, but are we experiencing it? Are you living in the fullness of the life of Christ that is in you, the abundant life? So a helpful question here is how, do you, how would you define the abundant life this morning? And I can just tell you up front that it is not, you know, the prosperity gospel of health and wealth. Uh, too many times today you hear pastors, in some, lots of times in these really big churches, telling you that the abundant life is all about physical health and financial wealth, and that's God's desire for you, and you just sow your seeds, and you'll be healthy, and you'll be wealthy, and yeah. And I'm just here to tell you that is so the antithesis of the gospel. You look at the Apostle Paul, who suffered greatly in his life, was persecuted for his faith. If you went to the Apostle Paul and said, Paul, are you living the abundant life? Paul would have said emphatically yes. If you went to Joseph, we're going to look at Joseph today, and he spent all those years, like 20, what, what 25 years down there in uh, Egypt, in, in Potiphar's house, and as a slave, as a prisoner. If you went to Joseph and said, Joseph, 
Are you living the abundant life? And, and it's not the same. It's a different dispensation. It's before the cross. It doesn't work the same. But we will see that Joseph would have emphatically said, yes. And I thought about that for each of us. What's our, what's our response to that question? Are you living, experiencing the abundant life? If someone came to me and asked me that question, I would say emphatically, yes, I think I am. And there's areas in my life I don't like and there's, there's times I wish I lived a little more in line with the truth and, and we all have our struggles and battles. And, but yeah, the abundant life is ultimately the Christ life. And so how would you define the abundant life? How about this? It is experiencing the fullness of our spiritual blessings in Christ. It's not about the physical realm or the material realm. It's about the spiritual realm. And it's like in Ephesians 11, all those blessings we have in Christ, if we're experiencing those, we're living the abundant life. For instance, do I live a guilt-free, no-condemnation life every single day? Do you live that way? Do I live with the confidence that all my sins have been forgiven? Do I live in the freedom that I don't have to repeatedly ask for forgiveness because I'm forgiven not by my apology or even by my request. I'm forgiven by what? The blood of Christ. Yeah. Aren't you glad you don't have to keep asking for forgiveness every single time you blow it? In fact, I heard a great one. You know, it's like, it's it's not a good thing because here's the reality. Most of us throughout our lifetime probably commit a a million sins and we probably confess about a thousand. So I'm glad it's not based on my apology. I'm just glad that when Christ went to the cross, it was finished and he forgave me for all of my sins. In fact, I heard an interesting take this week on the gospel, you know, when it comes to this issue of forgiveness. Did you realize... The gospel is not about us. I never thought of this. It's not about us, me, you, asking God for forgiveness. It's about what? It's about God asking us to receive his forgiveness. Will you let me forgive you? Because the reality is, God forgave you before you ever asked him. On the cross, God forgave everybody on the planet. Now, everybody's not forgiven because the catch is you got to receive his forgiveness. When you receive his forgiveness, then you're forgiven. But at the cross, he, it was finished. All sin was taken care of. We just have to ask for his forgiveness. And that's the the key. He's saying, hey, will you receive my forgiveness? I'm not even asking him to forgive me. He comes to me first. Uh, He, I love him because he loved me first. So, So powerful. And what is the caption here of our church so often, right? Uncompromising truth plus radical grace equals abundant life. That's how we kind of summarize the church here. That's how we do summarize the church here. And it's just Jesus is what? Truth and grace. And he comes to bring what? Abundant life. When you can come to to resolve the truth and grace of Jesus, and sometimes we should be probably uh, accused of of not standing on the truth enough, and sometimes we should be accused of, uh, you know, standing on the truth too much. Being, you know, sometimes we're too gracious and sometimes we're not gracious enough. We should get those, probably those accusations because it's a tough tension to live out, but that's the abundant life. And so this morning, we're, we're gonna talk today about the secret to abundant life and that secret is the paradox of faith. The paradox of faith. It, this is the paradox with the most potential because it can unlock the potential of the abundant life that is in you and in me. Hebrews 11. Here's how uh, it's defined in Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their con- uh, commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. 
So what is the faith paradox? We see in that verse, the faith paradox is closing your eyes so you can see. Now there's a paradox. We have to close our eyes so we can actually see. We're going to talk about that this morning. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 5. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. And it's really interesting for Paul. Like you look at the life of Paul and all that what Paul went through, and Paul never seemed to be discouraged. He was always of good courage because he just understood the abundant life found in Christ. He knew the spiritual blessings wrapped up in Christ. And just as a side note here, we can just say this, you know, that walking in the Spirit is walking by faith. Because walking by faith is when I'm closing my eyes to see into the spiritual realm, to see what's going on in my spiritual life, what God is doing in my spiritual life. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to identify four things that I can see when I close my eyes. It's going to be powerful. Four things that I can see when I close my eyes. Here's our big idea today, and it's basically the paradox of faith. This is our big idea. Sometimes I have to close my eyes so that I can see. And you just... This is a great one to carry with you and just remember because it's so powerful. Sometimes I just have to close my eyes so that I can see. And so, as I said, four things that I can see when I close my eyes. And it's going to be really powerful today. A really, really, really powerful today. So, <clears throat> here's the first thing we can see, right? Sometimes I need to, I must close my eyes to see the truth. Sometimes I must close my eyes to see the truth and the reason for this is let's be honest we go through all kinds of things in our life all kinds of circumstances in our life and our circumstances will often lie to us they will lie to us i didn't put it on the screen there but they'll often lie to us and uh, the, the 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 enemy you know satan is good at taking our circumstances and lying to us through our circumstances so i need to close my eyes to see the truth what i want to do here is i want to give you joseph's life story kind of like the forty thousand foot view i'm just going to take a big look at his life the high points and the low points we're going to run through this real quick and then we're going to come back and apply this message today to the life that joseph lived down there in egypt so it starts out that joseph has a dysfunctional family right because his dad jacob has two wives and Rachel right and so that's that created a lot of dysfunction in the family but worse than that Jacob had a favorite wife he had a favorite wife and that was Rachel he loved Rachel more than Jacob and and eventually Jacob or eventually Rachel has children she has a tough time having children eventually she gives Jacob his 11th of 12 children when she gives birth to Joseph and Joseph becomes well Jacob's favorite son so he's got a favorite wife and a favorite son and there's 10 other sons in the family and some daughters and it's just a mess and there's dysfunction everywhere. It's just a mess. But then one day, Joseph, his favorite son, has these wild dreams, right? And so, yeah, great, God gave him these dreams. The problem was Joseph couldn't contain himself and so Joseph had to flaunt those dreams before his brothers and the, you see the brothers' hatred of him grows. Like they're already envious of him, they're already annoyed by him and now they just outright hate the guy. It's like, come on, because he goes to his brothers and he tells his dad and his brothers about these dreams and, and what's going to happen and, um, and how they're going to bow down to him. And yeah, it's just really crazy. He should have sh- kept his mouth shut. And so then a father gets deceived because the 10 brothers who hate Joseph, they go out and take that, remember that Technicolor dream coat he had, right? It wasn't a Broadway play. It was a real thing. And uh, they take that coat and they kill an animal and they, they dip it in the blood and they take it home and say, Dad, Joseph was attacked by an animal and he's dead. 
And so a father is deceived. And the story continues, though, because then they sell Joseph into slavery, and now Joseph is down in slavery in Egypt. And he ends up in the house of Potiphar, and in no time at all, he's winning in Potiphar's house because he rises to oversee all of Potiphar's house, all of his finances, all of his staff, everything. He's in charge of everything because Potiphar could see that God was with him. But then Potiphar's wife makes moves on Joseph, right? Remember that? And she puts on her uh, fanciest perfume and her most seductive clothes and tries to entice Joseph. And one day she makes her move and comes after him and Joseph flees the house with his integrity. And at that point, he gets falsely accused. Potiphar's wife is angry, so she accuses Joseph of attacking her. And the next thing you know, Potiphar throws him into prison. And immediately, in no time, he's winning in prison. He rises uh, up in prison to oversee the prison with the prison guard. And the prison guard looks at him and says, boy, God is with this guy. He's a, he's a winner, and he puts him in charge. And eventually, he's in prison. And, and one day, a couple of guys have these dreams, and Joseph comes, comes along, and he interprets their dreams for him, right? And, and, and the, the one, the, one, the cupbearer said, when I get out, I'm going to go tell Pharaoh about you. I'm going to get you out of here. And as soon as the cupbearer got out of, uh, out of prison, he just forgot about Joseph. And Joseph was left sitting there in prison for a few more years. And then finally, one day, he gets his big break. He's, re- he's, he's, he's uh, rescued from prison, released, when he gets to interpret the dreams of Pharaoh himself. And so now he's winning in Egypt. Now he's, now he's sitting next, he's the governor sitting next to the Pharaoh, ruling over all of Egypt, uh, helping to, distrib- to, to collect and distribute the food for this impending uh, like 14-year famine ordeal that unfolds. And he's in this incredible, and then you got this great cinematic twist because what happens next? One day, in walk his 10 brothers. Oh, dreams do come true. They walk in and, and they come because they need food and Jacob sent them there and they bow down before Joseph and wow. And Joseph in that moment is just so overwhelmed by emotion that he has to kind of excuse himself and goes into a, another room and just breaks down. Wow. And then eventually... He's reunited with his whole family. His dad comes to live with them, all the kids and grandkids and aunts and uncles. Everybody, the whole crew is down there, and that's Joseph's life story. And I want to walk through this because I want you to see four simple lies up front that Joseph could have easily believed when he's sitting there in Egypt for all those years. These are the common lies that that he faced, and they're the lies that you and I face, and we need to close our eyes so we can see the truth. Like, how about this? I don't deserve this. Versus God is going to use this. I mean, how quickly Joseph is, he, he, you know, he went out to see his brothers that day and they capture him and seize him and they throw him in that pit, you know, and then they sell him into slavery. And as he's traveling down to, to Egypt, he's thinking, what just happened to me? Like, wow, my whole world got turned upside down. It's like, I didn't know they hated me that bad. And so he's like, I don't deserve this. But that never seems to be the attitude of Joseph he never takes on a victim status or plays the victim card here's uh, what it says in in Genesis 39 the Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man and he was in the house of his Egyptian master his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands so Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. 
And I think, you know, at this point, I think a, a verse that Paul, or a verse that Joseph would point us to would be this verse from Paul, right? And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ because somehow he didn't deserve this, but Joseph saw that God was working in this, that God was working in his life in a powerful way. It's an unfair situation, but he never took on that victim mentality. And then the second lie would be this, I have blown this versus God is so gracious. Like it would be so easy for Joseph heading down there to Egypt to say, I should have kept my big trap shut. Like I didn't know my brothers hated me that much. I have blown this, it's all over. God had this great plan for my life and all these great dreams and now I'm down here in Egypt and all, well, my brothers and dad, they're all, how are they gonna bow down to me? They're all up there in Egypt and I, or they're up there in the promised land. I'm down here in Egypt and yeah, I'm not even the la- in the land of promise anymore so how can the promises come true? It'd be so easy for Joseph to look at his life and just say, wow, I blew it. Have you ever felt like that in your life? Have you ever felt like you blew it? Well, I'm just here to tell you that if you're in Christ, you can't blow it. You can make your life a lot more difficult and a lot more hard and you can miss out on on experiencing the abundant life, but you haven't blown it. And God is faithful and he will complete his work in your life even if you sometimes fight against him. That is true. You know what, you want to see something fascinating in Joseph's life though? I was thinking about this. We talked about four or five weeks back about the paradox of humility. Is that not the life of Joseph? Think about it. Joseph has these dreams and he exalts himself and puffs himself up before his brothers and he is humiliated. And then he goes down, once he's humiliated, he goes down to Egypt in all this humility and just has a great attitude before God and eventually he is exalted paradox of humility right there in joseph's life i think it is so incredibly powerful so i don't deserve this i have blown this and the third lie is i can't handle this versus i can do all things through christ who strengthens me you ever felt like that you ever felt like god has asked you to do something and i just cannot do this i cannot handle this this is what god is asking is beyond me I can't forgive this person. I can't carry this burden. I can't endure this pain. I can't control my anger. I can't wait any longer. I can't give anymore. Has that ever been you? Or is that right now you? Like you're just at your wit's end. And, And part of the reason why we're all here today in this local body, in this church, is we need each other. There's times all of us in this church have just been at our end and we have come and we said, hey, we go to friends, we go to different people in our small groups, we just say, hey, boy, I need prayer. We need to be the tangible hands and feet and ears and shoulders for each other. We need each other. You know, the climax of Joseph's story, though, is so powerful because he does go through so much. And there's that day when his brothers arrive in Egypt and they come and they are before him. And that moment is so powerful. But you can see the tension. You can see the anguish. You can see the, all the emotion bottled up in Joseph's face in that moment. That's when he had to leave the room and he goes out and he breaks down. But picture the scene here, right? Joseph's brothers are talking among themselves and they don't understand, they don't recognize that that's Joseph. Joseph knows them, but they don't know Joseph. So they don't understand as they're talking here that Joseph knows everything they're saying. Listen to the conversation. Then they said to one another, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother, concerning Joseph, in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and did not listen. That is why this darkness has come upon us. And Reuben answered him, did I not tell you to sin, not to sin against the boy? 
but you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. They did not know that Joseph understood him, for there was an interpreter between them. Then he turned away from them and wept, and he returned to them and spoke to them. And there is a powerful little lesson in there, you know, when you think about the brothers here. What do we learn about the brothers? Like the last 20, 25 years, they've been living with this huge weight. And they think, oh, it's finally, finally come and due. We're finally gonna pay. You know, they could have come clean a long time ago. They could have gone and found their brother. They could have told their dad, but no, they didn't. And they lived with this huge guild and this huge weight. And now they think, oh, now we're gonna pay the piper because, yeah. But just imagine in that moment on Joseph's end, all that Joseph is processing in that moment. There was the past that was relived in that very moment. They lay out his whole, his, that whole past, that painful past. There was the injustice done to him. There were the years that were stolen from him. There was the pain that was inflicted upon him. And yet at the same time, Joseph could see the faithfulness of God's toward him. All in that moment there, it's like, wow. And, and you wonder, did Joseph ever wrestle with revenge? If you read a story, I don't think he did. Like he wrestled at first and he was kind of hard on him at first. But I don't think he ever really wanted revenge. Because I think he could clearly see how God used him in these circumstances for the benefit of everybody and the other reason is because joseph is a type of christ joseph is a type of christ he's a, he's a picture of the forgiveness of christ at the cross that's what joseph is and so i don't think he ever sought out revenge we're not to see that in his life and we never really get that picture um He's a, not a picture of revenge, but, a, but of offering forgiveness. And I had a deeper insight this week. You know, Joseph is a type of Christ. You know what he also is? He's a type of you and me. Because Christ is my life. I can forgive like Christ. In fact, we're called to forgive like Christ, right? We're told in Colossians and Ephesians to forgive like you've been forgiven. We're to be brand ambassadors and part of that brand ambassador is that we are forgivers, that we offer the forgiveness of Christ freely to anyone. I just think that is so incredibly powerful. Remember what I said, that God forgave us before we asked him to. He forgave us when we were his enemies. When he's on the cross, right? And who's driving the nails in his hands? You and me are. I mean, not physically, literally, but we are. He died for our sins. While the nails, while I'm driving the nails in his hands, he's forgiving me. That's radical forgiveness. And that's the forgiveness we need to be able to offer to the people in our life. And Joseph could have done the same thing, but he didn't. He offered them incredible forgiveness. He, um, what I meant by that is that Jesus, when he, when he could have held everything over me, he didn't. And Joseph could have done that for his brothers, and he didn't. So yeah. And then here's one last lie, right? God has forgotten me versus God is holding me. God has forgotten me versus God is holding me. And the reality is, it's, it's true. Joseph took one blow after another. And when he is in that prison cell and when he interprets that dream for the cupbearer and when it looks like he's maybe gonna get out and he gets forgotten again, it would be so easy for Joseph to just sit there and say, did God forget about me? How much more do I have to endure in this attitude again joseph never takes on a negative attitude a victim mentality or a resentful posture towards god and you and i we all sometimes echo the psalmist right we echo the psalmist when we say how long O oh lord we follow it up with has god forgotten me because i'm in this really tough situation and we just wonder what is going on and the reality god has not forgotten us god is holding us 
even more today, he indwells us and he is holding us together from the inside. Here's a powerful article from Christianity Today, Trusting God When He Is Silent. Um, and uh, in this issue, author and college president Krish uh, Kandia writes, one of my earliest memories is of holding my mother's hand on my first day of school. I was so nervous as I entered the classroom that I wouldn't let go. The warmth of her fingers reassured me as my heart pounded in my chest. When I felt scared and alone, she was my lifeline and my security. I was reminded of that day a few years ago as I sat in a dark room, once again holding my mother's hand. The silence was deafening as I started to hear the muted words coming from the dehydrated mouth of a woman whose body had been ravaged by cancer. This time my mother held on to my hand, seeking reassurance from its warmth in her time of distress. The comforter had become the comforted. Those were heartbreaking days. One moment I was praying for a miraculous recovery, the next for the end to come quickly. I was also haunted by God's conspicuous absence, what I would have given during those long languishing hours for his still, small voice of calm. Turkish theologian, Zero Merrill writes this, where is God when millions of his children are being persecuted in the most brutal ways? Why does he keep silent in the middle of persecution but speak loudly in the middle of conferences with famous speakers and worship bands? I have prayed many times like Luther, bless us, Lord, even curse us, but don't remain silent. Mariel's struggles eventually led him to consider Jesus' own experiences. He says this, The greatest day Jesus brought to God was not when he walked on the water or prayed for long hours, but when he cried in agony in the Garden of Gethsemane and still continued to follow God's will. He did so even though it meant isolation, darkness, and the silence of God. Thus we know that when everything around us fails, when we are destroyed and abandoned, our tears are the greatest worship songs we have ever sung. Sometimes I have to close my eyes so I can see the truth that I know God has not abandoned me. He has not forgotten me, but he is holding me together actually from the inside. Here's a second thing we can see when I close my eyes. I must close my eyes to find my way. I have to close my eyes to find my way. Ask yourself, how did Jesus, how did Joseph make it through all those years in uh, Egypt? Well, you know what most pastors do, and I maybe I've been guilty of this in the past, but I hear this so many times. Uh, people love to pump up the dreams of Joseph. Well, he was sustained by those grand dreams that he had, right? He had these incredible dreams and they sustained him and they held him uh, through all those years. And I just wonder, how important were Joseph's dreams? I had a little bit of an epiphany this week when I thought about the dreams that Joseph had. I never considered this. What are the grand dreams that carried Joseph through those dark days? Did Joseph dream one day that he was gonna sit on a throne next to the king? and rule, help rule over a nation? Did he, did, he, did, he, did he see the authority and the power and the honor he would have as he sat there next to a, to a pharaoh of this distant country? Did he realize that, did, did he see that he was gonna not just rule over this nation, but all the other nations would come in and bow down before him? Is this the dream that Joseph had? What was his dream? You 10 brothers and dad, you, you bowed down to me. That was his dream. That's the whole dream he had. That's all. And I, and I thought about that, and I thought, I don't know if it's Joseph's dreams that actually carried him through all his years in Egypt. Later on, I'll tell you the significance of Joseph's dreams, but consider this well-versed proverb here. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. That describes the life of Joseph. 
Like what I believe carried Joseph through all those years in prison, in, in, well, in prison and in Potiphar's house and all the false accusations, Joseph's deep trust in God carried him through his years in Egypt. I don't think those abstract dreams really carried him through. I'm not saying he didn't remember them or that he lost sight of them. I'm just saying. In fact, think about this. When he's in Egypt there, the baker has dreams, the cupbearer has dreams, Pharaoh has dreams, and he interprets all those dreams. And at some point, you, know, you might think hey, that, that Joseph's a little annoyed, like everybody's having dreams. And they're all coming true, but what about my dreams, God? I don't know that his dreams were as integral in those years. Maybe reading the story fully this week, I would have saw that differently. But here's the reality check this morning, I think it's really powerful, is that to trust in God is to be okay with not knowing. Like trust in the Lord with all your heart, acknowledge him in all your ways, and he'll make your path straight. You don't have to know everything, you have to have all the details, you're just trusting God. And wherever God does with your life is okay. The prophet Isaiah says of God that his ways are higher than our ways. That he knows things we don't know. We can't comprehend the mind of God. Remember how transcendent the nature of God is. He is so far above us. Which there's a side paradox here we can throw in. We're not going to get to this in the series. We only have a couple weeks probably left of this. How about the uh, wisdom paradox, right? Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this world, in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise for the wisdom of the world is folly with God. So there's the wisdom paradox, right? The wisdom of God is foolishness to man. The redemptive plan, the cross, all of that, like the world looks at that, oh, that's so foolish. And what the world thinks is brilliant, you know, all the scientists and philosophers and every philosophers that come up with these brilliant plans, that's all foolishness to God. And I just think here, you know, we don't have to have all the answers if we're trusting God. We're trusting God. And he knows things I don't know, and that's okay. He works in ways I wouldn't. There's another great verse that connects up here, and this is in uh, Hebrews 11, 11. This is, <clears throat> so in Hebrews, uh, it's the great faith chapter, and so it highlights all these great heroes of the faith. So Sarah, the wife of Abraham, who gave birth when she was 100 to Isaac, she has one little verse tucked away, and she gets one verse. That's all Joseph gets, by the way, as well. We'll see that in a minute. But here's what it says. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since, the, since she considered him faithful who had promised. You know why it is entirely logical for us to be a people of faith? You know why? Our faith in God is logical because God is so faithful. And it's proven throughout the scriptures how faithful God is. He keeps his word. He cannot lie. It's entirely logical. Even if I don't know what God's doing, to have faith because God is faithful. My faith rests in God's faithfulness. And so I believe that's what carried Joseph through. The Bible tells us repeatedly, and the Lord was with Joseph. And, Lord was with, and Joseph had faith and he trusted God. And maybe he remembered his dreams and maybe he didn't. But it, his faith, his trust in God is what carried him through. And sometimes I have to close my eyes so that I can see, right? Okay, let's go on. We're going to look at a third, a third thing we can see when we close our eyes. Genesis 39, verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Now we're at the prison. Sounds like when he was in Potiphar's house, right? And verse 22, And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. 
Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. So sometimes I must close my eyes so that I can count my blessings. Anybody here today just need to shut your eyes and stop and think for a minute? How blessed am I? Right? What's fascinating to me here, right? Joseph, he's in, he's in Potiphar's house and he's falsely accused. He's sold into slavery. He ends up in a prison and the whole time he has God's favor. Is that what God's favor looks like? Okay, maybe I don't want your favor, Lord. <laughs> but he had God's favor, but then he had the favor as well with, with Potiphar and with the prison guard and yeah. And so let's look at this this morning, this prisoner. In fact, here's, here's what it says again. The Lord was with Joseph. So he had Joseph, Joseph had God's presence and showed him steadfast love. He had God's love and he had God's favor. He gave him favor. Three things that he had as he was there in Egypt and he trusted in God. And let, let me just show you the blessings of, of Joseph in this way, in a Trinitarian fashion, right? And then we can kind of relate to them in the same way. Um, I have the favor of my father. That's the first thing. I have the favor of my father. And can I just say that I don't think this is such a transactional thing. We, we so easily look at things in a transactional sense. It's kind of like this. Joseph had God's favor because he was had a man of integrity. So God put in, Joseph put in his integrity and he put in his good character and he didn't complain and so God gave him favor. I don't think it worked that way. I think... He's living under what we would call the dispensation of promise. I think God was with Joseph. He was with Joseph and he gave favor and now Joseph has a choice. I can live in God's favor or I can have a bad attitude and I can complain and I can be a victim. And that's the way it works for you and me. Understand that's how when you were saved, God gave you his life. He gave you his abundant life. Now you can live in that life or you can just complain and gripe and and be a victim in this world. You have the abundant life. Am I experiencing? Am I choosing to live in the abundant life of Christ that he has put inside of me? And so it's not like his faithfulness and attitude and integrity earned him God's favor. God gave him his favor. Now he has the choice to simply experience it, if that makes sense. How about this? He, I am found in the sun, right? I have the favor of my Father and I am found in the Son. One of my blessings, Ephesians 1, is I am in Christ. And there are all these spiritual blessings because I am in Christ. And God has given us more of his favor, more of his grace and mercy and love and forgiveness and power than we could ever need. It's just like holy. It's like holy. He's given me his holiness. Do I live a holy life? Do I live a sanctified life? It's just mine to live. I'm not, made, I'm not made holy by how I live. I live out the holiness of Christ that he has poured into me. In fact, I heard someone say it this week that the gospel is really not about right living. We think the gospel is all about living right. It's really not about right living. In fact, think about those two trees in the garden again. There's the tree of life. I live out of the power of Christ. There's the tree of right and wrong. You could say this is the performance tree. Like I come over here and I perform for God. Like he saved me so I could perform for him. No, he saved me so that he could live through me. And the gospel's not about right, uh, right living. It's about right thinking. It's, it's, about, it's about thinking like Christ, having the mind of Christ because if you live your life focused on you and your performance for God, it's not the abundant life. It's not. But if you just trust Christ and you let him live through you, 
You live a life that's honoring and glorifying to Him, and that happens when we get the right mentality. Yeah. The identity of Christ is not something that I earn or work for. He just gives it to me. Now I can live it out. And so the application is sometimes I have to close my eyes so that I can find my identity in Christ. You see, it is, it is easy for me to define myself by my circumstances, by my thoughts, by my attitudes, by my feelings, by my choices, and yes, even my sin. And, and that's what it was on the screen. I'm not going to go back to it. But I saw a meme this week, and I point these out sometimes when I see them on Facebook, just so we would learn how to process good theology. I saw the meme, and I understand the sentiment entirely. But the, but the meme said this, reminder, who you are in private is who you really are. Examine yourself. Who you are in private is who you really are. Examine yourself. Do you know what's wrong with that? Let me tell you the gospel, uh, the gospel version of that. Reminder, who you are in Christ is who you really are. In public and in private, encourage yourself. The point is, yeah, I'm defined by Christ and I need to close my eyes so I don't define myself by my mistakes and my failures and my sin and my bad attitude and my circumstances and what people uh, say about me and think of me and I'm defined by Christ. His righteousness, His holiness, His power, His mercy, His grace. Yeah. So you see those things all the time on Facebook and they get thousands of likes. Oh yeah, who you are in private is who you really are. I didn't respond to it, I wanted to, but like no who you are in christ is who you really are and we don't always live like we should in christ right thankfully it's not just about my behavior and then i am befriended by the spirit and i love this because you know the reality is the holy spirit whenever you see him in scripture his qualities and traits the holy spirit are the qualities and traits of a friend they really are like he counsels us Gives us guidance, gives us advice. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Holy Spirit comforts us and consoles us. He's a comfort, he's a shoulder we can lean on. This is what the Holy Spirit, he encourages us and he challenges us. Yeah, that's the role of the Holy Spirit. And look at this verse here, I love this verse. And I've shared this many times, I know. But I want you to get the weight of what's going on today. One of your spiritual blessings, what's going on in your life every day. For, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Did you un- do you understand that when you were saved, here's what happened. The Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, came into you and made your dead spirit alive. But then, you know what the Holy Spirit did? He hung around. And it's not like your spirit's dead and when you get saved, you get the Holy Spirit. No, the Holy Spirit comes in and it's it's very clear in Scripture. He makes your dead spirit alive. You get a new spirit and the Holy Spirit is living in you. And what's going on right now? The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit, has a conversation with our spirit right now every single day. If you know Christ, the Holy Spirit is inside of you having a conversation with your spirit. He is. One of the spiritual blessings we have. Reminding, he's reminding me of who I am in Christ. Reminding me that I'm not defined by my sin or my circumstances. He's reminding me that I am a child of God. He's reminding me of how much God loves me. He's reminding me that I am free, that I am favored, that I am found in Christ. He points out when I'm living a way I shouldn't live. It's like, you don't want to do that. You're a child of, you're, you're a child of God. It's amazing. 
It's an amazing thing. And so I have my good friend, my best friend, the Holy Spirit inside of me, constantly encouraging me to close my eyes so I can see the truth, find my way, and count my blessings. That's what he's doing, having this conversation inside of me. Sometimes I need to close my eyes so that I can see the truth. The last thing we can see when we close our eyes, sometimes I must close my eyes to recognize my hope. So let me ask you this morning, a scale of one to 10, how much hope you're living with? How much hope do you live with today, right? Scale of one to 10. One, two, five, seven, 10. I get it, we live in a really, the world right now is a discouraging place. We're in a spiritual battle, um, and I'm not saying it hasn't been this bad before, I just don't think we've ever experienced the spiritual battle or the spiritual war as intensely as we experience it today. And the question is, how is this world and this war impacting my hope? But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And we need to close our eyes sometimes and just remind ourselves that we are a citizen of heaven that I don't live, I'm just passing through this planet, I am a citizen of heaven. And so I have all this incredible hope. The reality is we think about hope and faith, and there's a great connection between hope and faith. Do you ever think about that? There is a sense where my hope can give me faith while my faith can feed my hope. It's like a circular thing. It really is. You look at Joseph's life and, 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 and Joseph, he, he has this hope. We see that he has this hope. He, he, we'll see it in here in a minute. And that, both, that hope gave him faith. At the same time, his faith could feed his hope. I, I said earlier, I, I would give you an insight on Joseph's dreams, right? So what are the significance, these dreams that really weren't that grand? They were really pretty like... Your dad and your brothers might bow down to you someday. He had no real specific details on those dreams. And so what is really going on? What is the importance of those dreams? What's the purpose of those dreams? Ultimately, Joseph's dreams were in all reality a future sign for a certain point in time. That's what his dreams were. His dreams were such, okay, watch this. The day that Joseph's brothers unexpectedly show up in Egypt, end up in front of him, and then bow down to him, the Bible tells us at that moment he remembered his dreams. And wow, what a moment. What a moment for Joseph when his brothers bow down, when he sees them, and they bow down to him, and it all... And in that moment, Joseph would have had the confirmation that he was all along in the center of God's will and in the palm of God's hand. It would just be like a sign. His dreams were really just a sign. And he, he could see this happen. He can know God's in control of everything. That's why he can say this to his brothers. Um, I didn't put it on the screen here. He says this to his brothers, Genesis 45, 5, and now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves be, because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. And God sent me, verse 7, before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. And the, and the reality is, the transcendence, of glory, uh, the transcendence and glory of God is such that God can work out his sovereign will even as we have a free will. God didn't technically send him down there. God didn't throw him in that pit and do all that. And God didn't make the brothers do that. But God used all that. And Joseph could see in that moment when they bowed down, this was God's plan. 
He told me, he gave me this dream and it was really a sign and now I understand. And I love what he points out there because did he remember his dreams all those years? I don't know, but one thing it's clear that he did remember the promises to the nation of Israel because he says, I was sent here to preserve a remnant. I was here so that we would not die out as a people. At the end of his life, basically in Hebrews 11, verse 22, we get one little verse on Joseph. Just like Sarah, he gets one simple little verse, doesn't talk about his, really his early years in Egypt. It just says this to us. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. And basically, the point is, what's going on here is that Joseph, in his faith, saw the future exodus. Like he, he, he tells his brothers and his dad and all the kids and grandkids one day, just as we came down here, one day God is going to take us all back home. Because God has a promise for us as a people and he's going to keep that promise. And Joseph's face saw that future exodus. That is what we know and it's so powerful. And so the point is sometimes we need to close our eyes so we can see the hope that we have in Christ, so we can see the hope of our future, just as Joseph, in all that he went through, could see the hope of Israel's future. And one last thing here is that he makes mention of his bones. You know, Joseph, when he died, he said, don't bury me. You, you know why Joseph didn't want to be buried? You understand why he didn't want to be? Because Joseph understood, he knew that he was not a citizen of Egypt, but of the land of promise. And so they didn't bury him and they took his dead bones back to the land of promise, back to Canaan. And they buried his bones there. And in the same sense, we need to know that we are the citizens of heaven and that should stir up a hope in the depths of our soul. I'm just passing through this planet. Paul speaks of this reality and I didn't put this on the screen as well. Let me give you one last passage of this morning. Uh, so we do not lose heart, says Paul to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 3. We do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal and they're spiritual. And sometimes we need to close our eyes so we can see so we can see the truth so we can find our way so we can count our blessings so we can realize our hope let me leave you this morning with a super practical application so you might say to me okay how do i do that how do i close my eyes so i can see you know i was talking with them um, like me and craig were talking uh, last weekend and we were, i was just mentioning you know there's things in the bible that you know like i said last week like when Jesus passed in and out of walls and that's not really in the Bible. He just appeared. And there's things we, we just are told, you know, and we get these pictures and there's really nothing in the Bible that says that. For instance, like, I remember growing up, seven years old, and I remember the church. I remember standing there and, um, and pastor would say, okay, before we we'd get ready to sing our closing hymn, you know, and it's like, let's all uh, bow our head and close our eyes. Because that's prayer, right? Prayer, you close your eyes. And yet the reality is, honestly, there's not a verse in the Bible that says when you pray, you close your eyes. Not saying it's bad, but I just remember as a seven-year-old, and I would, I would sit there, and so then I would kind of like seven years old, I'd like peek around the room. Why, why do we do that when you're a little kid? I don't know. 
You peek around the room. And I'd see some adult over there, and his eyes weren't closed. I'm like, hey, he's not praying. <laughs> Something's wrong with his spiritual life. He's not praying because his eyes are open. You pray, you close your eyes. It's not in the Bible, but is, is it helpful to close our eyes? Yeah, it really is helpful to close our eyes. Why? It's useful because what, what are we doing when we, when we pray? We're closing our eyes so we can see the truth, find our way, count our blessings, and recognize our hope. We are shutting our eyes to all of the distra- distractions around us so we can see into the spiritual realm and even into the face of God. And in some ways, prayer is, a sim- is simple. It is when I close my eyes so I can see. And I take my requests to God. I take my petitions to God. I lay them out before God. So let's all close our eyes today. As we close today, let's close our eyes in a moment of prayer. And right now with our eyes closed, just take a few seconds here personally and ask your heavenly father, what do you want me to see this morning? What are my circumstances, my emotions, my choices, my struggles? What are they preventing me from seeing? What truth, what blessing, what opportunity am I currently missing out on? And then let's ask him to teach us how to close our eyes and walk by faith. It is, in fact, the paradox with the most potential. It is a secret to the abundant life. So with our eyes closed, let's just take a few seconds here and ask God, what do you want me to see today? And the wonder of it all is the Holy Spirit inside of us speaks to our spirit. And we all heard a different answer. We all hear something different. Maybe some of us just need to take more time today to get away for five minutes or 30 minutes or an hour. It's a beautiful day to go out and take a walk. Just get away and say, Lord, what do I need to see? What am I missing out on right now? And let's teach me how to close my eyes so that I can see. Bless us as we go home today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. We're going to close with this song today.